Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. An Erio's original. With anti-Asian hate crimes at record numbers, this season of The Margaret Cho, we're examining the historical crimes that laid the groundwork for this recent onslaught of violence. I talk with Asian comedians, authors, journalists, podcasters, as well as the organizations and people working to stop Asian hate. Welcome to the Margaret Cho Mortal Minority. Today, we're talking about the recent Indianapolis FedEx shooting that took the lives of nine people, including four members of the Sikh community. Also, our historic event is the Virginia Tech shooting in 2007. My guest today is photographer and judge and chef and amazing guy. He was uh, one of the judges of Asia's Next Top Model, and he's great. He's a friend of mine. You sigh. Hi, you sigh. How are you feeling with everything happening right now? Well, what a mixed emotion. May is my birthday month and should be the month. Oh, of happy birthday. Thank you so much. Should be that. But, you know, put in context, uh, going through this pandemic, and last year in May, I was made aware of how important to celebrate this month because it's the Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And I get emotional talking about this because all my life, I never celebrate my birthday. It's nothing that mattered to me. But when May came around, I then realized that was so important to celebrate that because of all the work I've done in my career in America and breaking boundaries of things that matter to me, I didn't realize all those things were the work that I need to let people know as an Asian American. Yeah, yeah. And you started my journey last year by being mm-hmm. part of my podcast and allow me to recognize that how important for us as Asian Americans to share what we do. Yes. And it doesn't have to be the greatest thing in the world. It could be the small little thing that you do, but being present. So for me, May from now forward would not be my birthday month. It's my Asian fellow brother and sisters birthday celebration for me and that's so important yeah I love that I mean I think that's really important I think it's like you know such an important thing to celebrate our our Americanness and our achievements here in this country so much of what we have historically experienced is invisibility 
And so it's really time to celebrate ourselves, celebrate our efforts and our contribution to the life, the culture, the country, the all-encompassing nature of Americanness. You know, we, we have so much to offer. But that but that's part of, wasn't part of my DNA, right? It's not part of how I grew up. Yeah. I grew up in Terry Hill, Indiana, being only Asian person that I, when I look around, other than my cousins who were in the same town. And then we moved to Terry Hill, in, uh, moved to Robinson, Illinois, which is only a 30,000 people and us being this only Asian in that town. And I didn't live in a world of going, I'm the only Asian. I live in the world not knowing I'm Asian. Yeah. Meaning that I didn't lean into it because when you're young, you lean into it, then you are too visible. And if you don't lean into it, you are not allowed to bring your own culture. I grow up with my mom always say, remember your eyes are brown, your hair is black, your skin is yellow. No matter where you go, how American you want to be, you will always have those features and those are who you are. And at some point you're gonna learn that's your asset. Mm-hmm. But that took a long time to get there, right? It took a long, long time to get there. Even the early part of my career as an on-camera personality, as a photographer who captured imagery, I have to say, I never lean into it. I never ever say I'm Asian American and I made it this far because I'm Asian American until now. Mm-hmm. Until now that I'm brave enough, strong enough to recognize how important that is. And much to do with you, much to do with the role you have paid for people like me and, mm-hmm. and able to say, yeah. yes, Margaret has done this. Mm-hmm. And yes, I laugh and I laugh and watch and, and I enjoy all the, the comedy specials I've been in person as well as on TV. But funny enough, even with those time, at those times, I didn't go, oh, I'm here celebrating Asian. I was here mm-hmm. celebrating Mark. But now I feel like I'm more mature and the time is now for us to recognize we don't just celebrate Margaret. We celebrate Margaret because she's Asian American who paved the road for people like me. So I want to yes. thank you for that. I want to thank you. And you've been able to do some amazing work around the um, Stop Asian Hate, Stop AAPI Hate campaigns. Um, we did some stuff, events on Clubhouse, where how much how much money did they, did they, they raise for that? A lot. So within two hours time, we set the record history on Clubhouse. We raised over $60,000. That's incredible. That's incredible. Thank you so much with your help, with, with so many people like Lisa Ling and, mm-hmm. and the chef, the, the, you know, that particular fundraiser, it was like a culmination of everything that all the effort throughout the entire year of talking to so many people are marginalized the women yeah. chefs that people don't celebrate, the LGBTQ community that in the Asian community that are silenced. Yeah. And this particular fundraiser, it was the, for me, it was a celebration. Everybody mm-hmm. coming together, we survived through this and together we're gonna continue to grow through this time. And the donation that came in are all from the peers and everybody who were, who was struggling together yet still want to help each other. That's what's really incredible. More restaurant people donated for other restaurants while mm. their own self are struggling. Yeah. It was so emotional. 
I don't know how many times I cried that night, but I was very dehydrated by the end of the <laughs> evening. It was a crying. It was a happy cry. It was a lot of like happy crying and a real celebration, and you know, just really important to do. And so, to me, that was sort of like a start of this new wave of really supporting Asian American creators, artists, you know, entrepreneurs, and really looking for us to like galvanize our community against all of the violence. Absolutely, and little did I realize that we would be here today to talk about stop Asian hate. Right? I thought doing the Black Lives Matter movement was so blessed as Asian Americans be able to stand with our brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. and almost in a way that we were, I was like, oh, I'm so blessed that we don't have to do that work, and they're yeah. doing the work for us. And then the tide changed, the wind moved, and all of a sudden Asians are—I don't want to say that—become victims, but the fact that they were already victims became surface, being right. recognized and, and being uh, and, and being put on major news channels. And, and that put a lot of pressure on me personally, because then I realized I have work to do. Yeah. Much of the silence the media did not cover made us unaccountable. We were not accountable for those things because we didn't see them. Therefore, we don't have right. to do the work. Yeah. And now I feel the pressure, right? I feel the weight on my own shoulder, my brother and sister of the Asian community that we have to do the work to bring yes. even more awareness. We have so much work to do. We have so much to do. And so many of us don't know what to do still and afraid right. to ask. Yeah. You know? There's so many issues. And what we're going to talk about for the first part today is actually, this is from Indiana. So your um, home state in Indianapolis for the, the FedEx shooting that happened there. This was very pretty recently on April 15th, 2021, 19-year-old former employee Brandon Scott Hole entered a FedEx facility with a gun and killed eight people before shooting himself. The shooting lasted just minutes. This is from the AP News. There was no confrontation with anyone that was there. No disturbance, no argument. He just appeared to randomly start shooting. Deputy Police Chief Craig McCart said the slayings took place in a matter of minutes, that there were at least 100 people in the facility there at the time. Many were changing shifts or were on their dinner break. Several people were wounded, including five taken to the hospital. So here are the victims. Um, this is from AP News. They are Matthew R. Alexander, Samaria Blackwell, Amarjeet Johal, Jaswinder Kaur, Jaswinder Singh, Amarjit Sikhan, Carly Smith, and John Weisert. And so four of the victims were members of the Indianapolis Sikh community. You deserved so much better than this. A man who identified himself as the grandson of Johal tweeted Friday evening. Johal had planned to work a double shift Thursday so she could take Friday off, according to the grandson, who would not give his full name but identifies as Komal. Johal decided to grab her check and go home and still had her check in her hand when the police found her. Um, this is from CNN. Two of the victims, Sikhan and Kao, were relatively new to Indianapolis and were working the overnight shift at the FedEx facility when they were killed, said Rimpi Gurn, an Indianapolis resident who knew them. Sikhan, after immigrating to the U.S. in 2004, moved to Indiana in 2019 from Ohio to be closer to family and relatives. Uh, Sikhan leaves a husband and two sons, aged 13 and 19. Kaur, who immigrated to the U.S. in 2018 was the breadwinner for her family. Sekharan drove Kaur to work because Kaur didn't have a driver's license. It's so sad. And also, I find that this particular 
incident, this this terrible crime, is not really counted around AAPI hate. This, but this is this is the Sikh community is part of the Asian American community, and for some reason I don't understand why this isn't being related to a hate crime. The shooter had been uh, visiting white supremacist websites. It's known that he also uh, had a mental health hold, but he was still able to purchase assault rifles in July and September 2020. And yet they're still not categorizing either as a hate crime nor as a crime against the Asian American community. So again, in, in this particular instant, like we find so many of our identities and our narratives being erased here too. I don't know what that's about. Well, I think when, look at what's happening. We just had, I believe the Congress finally passed the bill that against Asian, anti-Asian crime bill is now pushing through the Congress and we're waiting for President Biden to sign it and it will become official. And before that, there was no such thing as anti-Asian crime. Mm -hmm. Therefore, in the world of everyday people, if there's not a rule or law to say this is not legal, therefore it's legal. Therefore, what they're asking and what they're doing, I feel they don't have to have accountability because nobody's saying you cannot do this. If you do this, it's a crime. And I think we have to keep on moving the meter and vocalize that these are crimes. Mm -hmm. Right, the things that you do. And look at 1982, the Chinese Desertion Act. It was not a crime to get rid of Chinese people in this country. Right. Right. And therefore, it's okay to treat them and perpetrate them in a way that they're, they victimize them. Mm -hmm. So I feel like right now, with knowing this incident, it's such a great example to know that it's because we have not put forth the, enough work mm -hmm. to make sure people understand Asians are not monoliths. People in a huge Asian community and all this gigantic region that we are not a monolith, but we have to stand in solidarity. And I think that's what is still missing today, right? We see stop Asian hate, stop branching off, stop Asian Southeast Asian, stop you know Northeast Asian and all this stuff. I I I am more frustrated that we have to be that specific to educate everyday people that we are a group of human and we're being separated by region of geography and then you can choose to hate us or not hate us that mm -hmm. makes no sense to me. why do i need to stop southeast asian hate when i say stop asian hate stop asian hate means turkey is going to say asia you need to think globally it's not just about our yellow skin our our you know stereotype of center eyes with chinese accent of people you're allowed to hate that's my frustration mm -hmm. and i hope the new legislation about anti-Asian act will help further educate, at least put some kind of accountability mm -hmm. in our society. If you do this, it's wrong. When you cross a red light, it's wrong. Therefore, it gives you a moment, maybe that split second of a beat, you can educate someone to be a little bit more human before action right. does take place. Right. And it, it's just that we are giving so much credit to the shooter in that like, oh, it's not a hate crime. We're not sure if it's a hate crime, even though he's visiting white supremacist websites. I mean, even though he killed sick people, like it's like a very strange license of like they really do bend over backwards to humanize the actions 
of some of these murderers. And it's really, to me, it's subtle, but also very loud, the racism there that's involved in it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you, with you more. It's so crazy. And the mainstream media should be held accountable for that. I think people in, in media, the reporters, should stand up and call out these things as hate crime. We're beginning to see that more and more since we have changed uh, the president from the previous to now when absolutely are more vocal to find equality among human beings now. But I do think it's still a heavy machinery to lift. Yeah. Right. And who is to lift that? Right. Are the Asian community responsible to lifting ourselves? How do we garner our brothers and sisters of other ethnicity to help us? How do we find allyship? That's what my biggest problem is. When I turn on television, when I see this news you just read to me, I look at that and I listen to the to the top line. I listen to the crawl. I look at the crawler and I go, you're not my ally. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you're standing there able to say this is not a hate crime, you are not my ally. And that's what scares me. Yeah, it's so scary. So this story relates to the historical story. But one of the things is really that I want to speak to is how even though um, he is mentally ill, obviously, he's still able to purchase a gun. Um, so this is from CNN. In March 2020, the mother of the gunman, Brandon Hull, contacted police because she was worried about his behavior after he purchased a gun. And uh, he was going to point a recently purchased shotgun at police officers so they would shoot him. So the police visited him. And despite a temporary mental health hold in March, Hull was still able to legally purchase assault rifles in July and September. It, it, it's, so, it's so crazy. So there's a, there's a law. The state's Jake Laird red flag gun law allows police to seize and hold firearms for individuals undergoing mental health issues, but the state only has 14 days to file a petition requesting the person be designated as having a violent propensity or mental instability. Because the shotgun taken from Hull's home had been secured and the family didn't want it back, prosecutors felt they achieved the objective of the law, Mir said. If the state had filed a petition, the court might have determined prosecutors didn't have the legal authority to keep the weapon. But it's clear that he is a time bomb and that it's going to go off. And isn't that so evident of the law that we have in the states that where uh, women cannot report abuse until there's physical harm is actually done. If you don't right. see blood, there's no violence. And this is no different, right? right. And mental disease is invisible to the eye. Therefore, we cannot judge. But yet the protocol that we have set in place is so laborious that we can't take action fast enough to protect our citizens in this case. I know. It, it just get more frustrating as we see more of these cases popping up. It gets, mm -hmm. it, it don't, it doesn't drive you crazy, Margaret, that you just go, isn't this common sense? Where's yeah, it common sense think, of all? You would think it was common sense, but it's really crazy. So, um, okay, well, we're going to take a short break. And then after we um, are back, we're going to talk about the Virginia Tech shooting. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Okay, uh, can you remember what you were what you were doing in 2007? Wow. Ooh, 2007 is when I just started, oh, I know. I was actually in Turkey shooting for sports, uh, shooting for Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition for the very first time. Oh. 2007. It wow. was when I began to start travel as a photographer. Oh, okay. Um, I was traveling around, um, I was touring, and I remember one of my comedy specials, Notorious CHO. I don't know what, what network was showing it, but because of this incident, they took it off the schedule wow. because the shooter's name is uh, Cho Sung Hui. And so they felt that having a television show <laughs> called Notorious CHO was somehow a problem. So anyway, that's how I actually heard about it was because they took my special off the schedule. And then I heard about this incident. So Cho Sung Hui, he was born in Korea and in his family's from Isan, Korea. And they had emigrated to the United States there's some things in common that he and I have. His pa- father owned a bookstore in Isan, and uh, they had emigrated to the United States and had moved to Virginia, which is sort of not far from Washington, D.C. There's a big Korean population there, a lot of Korean churches. Mm-hmm. Cho Sung Hui, which is similar to my father's name, is Cho Sung Hun. Cho Sung Hui had issues growing up. Like, he always had problems. He was unbelievably shy, like, Ultimately, like they called it, he was diagnosed with selective mutism, which is sometimes he just wouldn't talk. But it wasn't that he couldn't talk, he just couldn't. And a lot of the things that they describe that he sort of didn't like have social cues, he didn't have sort of a, it sounds like somebody who might be on the autism spectrum, but that was never particularly diagnosed. But this is a little bit before sort of had the, the words about that condition. So he had a lot of problems like connecting with other people, connecting with kids. Um, his parents took him to Korean churches in um, the area. And one of the ministers at the churches said that he was possessed by a demon and needed deliverance. So, I mean, that's sort of like, I mean, a lot of different churches have their own way of thinking maybe if he was Catholic, they would have performed an exorcism. But I think that that, they were suggesting that sort of a prescribed thing would have been an exorcism. But he was an angry young man. And, you know, it's a very, it's a very intense thing that happened. So um, this is from the New York Times. On April 16th, 2007, 33 people were killed on the campus of Virginia Tech, which was then the deadliest shooting rampage in American history. Of course, now this has been superseded by uh, The Pulse in Orlando and also um, Las Vegas, I think two years later. It's so crazy how this keeps happening. But at that time, it was the worst. And many of the victims were students shot in the dorm and classroom building. Witnesses described the scenes of mass chaos and unimaginable horror as some students were lined up against a wall and shot. Others jumped out windows to escape or crouched on floors to take cover. The killings occurred in two separate attacks 
on the campus in Blacksburg, Virginia. The first took place at 7.15 when two people were shot and killed at a dormitory. And then two and a half hours later, 31 others, including the gunmen, were shot and killed across campus in a classroom building where some of the doors had been chained. So what uh, Cho had done is he had He'd gone into the building beforehand and chained the exit doors together and put a note there saying that there was a bomb, that it would go off if you tried to open the doors. So the first attack, I guess it's so hard to piece together because he had no real connection to the victims in this. The first killings, it was a young woman and um, the RA that lived there checking to see what, because he'd heard the shots and came up. So supposedly Cho Sung Hui was obsessed with the woman, the first woman that he killed and then um, killed the guy there right after. As the rampage unfolded, details from the witnesses sort of described the gunmen going from room to room in the dormitory and then the gunfire later at Norris Hall. It's all so crazy to think that this was sort of before you could really give a text warning out to everyone. So it's 2007, so you're kind of in the middle of technology. And this campus is like 30,000 students. So there's no like loudspeaker you could go across and inform everybody. And at first they had thought that first incident, the girl that had been killed, the first woman, her boyfriend was known to have guns. So the police and the campus assumed that this was just an isolated incident Mm. and these two people were just killed, but then they didn't anticipate all of this other stuff that was going to happen. So they sent out a group email saying there was an active shooter, but it's like a group email. Who's going to look at a group email? It, it, it's so insane to think about this sort of like little bit of a lapse in technology where we almost were sort of all like moving from flip phones to sidekicks. I think that's 2007. <laughs> Did you have a BlackBerry? It is. It's around that. Maybe 2004. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm a little bit of a late... I, I did everything pretty late. You're a late adopter. <laughs> I'm a late adopter. Not an early adopter. I'm much a late... Some things I early adopt, but some things I'm very late. A late come. I'm a late comer to smartphones. But you would think... I mean, it's such a good note to draw on that, that technology perhaps could help us to find safety, but the shooters, the, the murderers, the insane are sharing the same technology that we have to protect us, right? Yes. They're getting information the same. So time changes, but the action has not improved. It hasn't. And I know that Cho Sung Hui was really obsessed with video games. So I do think, I don't think that video games cause violence or anything like that, but I do think that there is a kind of mentality when you're in a game that sometimes you start to not be able to separate it from the real world in like, if you have a tendency towards antisocial behavior as he does, that maybe it can cause a bit of a disconnect with reality. When you're shooting, it feels like you're inside the game. Absolutely. And, and but that's another marker of the mental disease, right? That's another marker yeah. of how was he able still to purchase guns? How, how are we not able to red flag these situations when, when there are medical history of him, there are family warnings and there's, there are signs. And yeah. one of the things I'm always so frustrated with when I hear about things like this happen, my first question is always, who are their parents? Who are their parents? I'm not saying mm-hmm. the parents are responsible. If the parents were, or people around him, who are his friends? Maybe he has zero, I don't know, but I always wanna know 
where are the warning signs or the social cues that that could have prevented these situations? Well, I think that the warning signs were pretty evident. Um, Nikki Giovanni, who is a very acclaimed, a very famous, very important American poet, she's tremendous. And he was taking her poetry class. And uh, she was very disturbed by his poetry and his behavior in class. And um, he would take photographs of female students' legs and knees under the desk and would really just be very abusive in his language and his poetry to the point where she actually went to the university and said, I would rather resign than have him in class. So, you know, there was quite a few warning signs, you know, that his behavior was off. He he did have some guys who would try to, you know, get include him in social activities. He had a roommate who took him to a party and Cho got very drunk and he was describing how he had an imaginary girlfriend who was a supermodel from space, and her name was Jelly, and also Cho Spanky, that was her other name, <laughs> which is so, uh, uh, it, it, it's, it just speaks to like this kind of video game fantasy anime life that he seems to be like cultivating, but not really sharing. Um, he would also take photos of that particular roommate who took him out to a party in his sleep. So there's just some weird stuff, like antisocial stuff going on that uh, I think people didn't really know would lead to violence just because, you know, nobody's going to anticipate that. But one of the things was is that Cho Sung Hui really worshipped the Columbine shooters and was very much into that ethos, into this sort of like angry young man ethos that he, he really felt seen when people were talking about that, when when all of that sort of was happening, he really felt um, moved by it. But the fact that he could buy guns so easily, the, the, in the same way that with Brandon Hole could buy guns so easily, even though he had mental health issues, he bought he purchased guns online and was able to pick them up without having to disclose his mental health status or the fact that he had, you know, all of these issues. Um, so going back to uh, the, this is the mass shooting at Virginia Tech, a reporter of the review. During Cho's junior year at Virginia Tech, numerous incidents occurred that were clear warnings of mental instability. Although various individuals and departments within the university knew about these incidents, the university did not intervene. No one knew all the information and no one connected all of the dots. It's like... Um, you know, they're, they're not communicating with each other. There was no, like, sense of, like, communicating with the staff or Cho's parents. It was just a lack of all the stuff. And then Cho purchased two guns in violation of federal law. But the, the violation was that he just didn't check the box that said he had mental issues. That was, like, up to them. And it's all of these people, I guess it's the gun lobbies who are allowing this to continue happening, where we allow the shooters to have the honor system of saying, well, I'm, I'm not mentally ill. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. I'm fine. This incident was very much an opportunity for people to express their Asian hate. And so this is from the Utopian Movements, Nikki Giovanni and the Convocation Following the Virginia Tech Massacre by Robin Bernstein. Most mass murderers in the United States have been white men who have been privileged to remain 
racially unmarked. Cho Sung-hui, however, was instantly and overwhelmingly defined in the media by his race and national origins. Lucinda Roy, then chair of the Department of English at Virginia Tech, argued that the persistent mention of Cho's ethnicity suggested that it could be construed as a clue to his perverse behavior or as something we needed to purge. Suchin Park, a writer for MTV.com, noted similarly that the persistent description of Cho as Korean national, which he was he was born there, but he was not he was an American, suggested that somehow Cho's place of birth, his immigrant status, had something to do with the massacre. Roy described racism immediately following the shooting as potentially explosive because it was fed both by those intent upon promoting racial tension and by those who failed to understand that continually identifying a killer in terms of his ethnicity could lead people to conclude that all those of Asian descent were suspect. And in response to these dangers, the Asian American Journalists Association issued a statement. As coverage of the Virginia Tech shooting continues to unfold, the AAJA urges all media to avoid using racial identifiers unless there is a compelling or germane reason. The effect of mentioning race can be powerfully harmful. It can subject people to unfair treatment based simply on skin color and heritage. But as Roy notes, this plea went largely unheeded. Liu Boaz, a Korean-American student at Virginia Tech, told the New York Times that his parents, fearing hate crimes, had asked him to leave campus and that parents of other Korean-American students were preparing to pick up their children and take them home. Such fears were warranted. Soon after the shooting, Asian and Asian-American students at Virginia Tech reported random incidents, presumably perpetrated by students of non-Asian descent, of name-calling, threat-making, and even occasional fist-throwing against them. Again, it's like, when people are in crisis, when America's in crisis, our Americanness comes into question. Cho Sung-hui killed himself in the shooting. I mean, he was the last victim of the shooting. So he's the perpetrator and also the victim as well. And yet there are students that are using this as an excuse to blame other Asian students for this tragedy. It's sickening. When I listened to this story and I heard it many times, and I remember when this 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 incident hit the news cycle, and there was an instant fear. Mm-hmm. There was instant fear that that the categorization of all you Asians are alike. Right. You we we have to be afraid of you now because you could be like him. Mm-hmm. Right. And those are the microaggressions and hate it started to build up. It's incident like this. Yeah. Right. It's an incident of. of I don't ever look at a murderer that's white and say, well, all white people are murderers. No. Right? But as a minority, it's so easy for people to say, oh, you is that group because we can name you as a group. Therefore, you have one bad seat in your group. You resemble that group and we can use that reason to hate you. Yeah. That's, isn't that what's up? That, that's from that moment to now, it's just a growth of a perpetuation of hate within our our community and within, but also within ourselves, there's something that we can talk about is that within our Asian community, there's so much pain and hate about within our own diversity. Yeah. Right. There's so much colorism. There's so much Korean and Chinese and Taiwanese, Japan, all these conversations of us not even liking each other for centuries and centuries of wars. And all of a sudden we have to find some way to love each other, 
and mm-hmm. then be sol- in solidarity so we can have a peace in America? Does that not drive you insane and crazy? Yeah, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Um, So these are the gun laws 10 years later from Time Magazine. A decade after what is still the deadliest shooting on college campus, the winner of that battle is clear. It's easier than ever to buy and carry a firearm in the state. In the last 10 years, Virginia has reversed many of its gun regulations, making it easier for residents to carry concealed guns in bars, getting rid of the state's one handgun per month purchasing law. How many handguns do you... Just one a month. One a month. <laughs> it's so crazy. And making it legal to keep guns in car glove boxes. <laughs> Why? Over the same period, the state has shrugged off pushes for expanded background checks and calls to toughen laws to prevent gun trafficking. Will Pelfrey, a Virginia Commonwealth University criminologist, says following the Virginia Tech shooting, uh, gun rights groups were much better funded and organized and able to succinctly communicate their message. It ain't right. When NRA has that much money, influence in lawmaking process, actually, it is the stem of all problem, right? The gun regulation, it is the stem of all problem. And I am not a person to say, to take the rights away from you. I'm not gonna fight your second amendment rights. I'm not gonna fight your freedom rights or speech rights, but there are protocols that we can set in place that protect the innocence, Mm -hmm. protect situations such as mental disease or a background check that could be much more efficient. We can take this conversation and lead it to what's happening today, right? I, I travel around the world and I, when I go to Asia and I know people in America doesn't wanna hear about the big brother mentality, there are apps that you track behaviors. Mm-hmm. There are apps that are track if you have COVID, where you've been and if you expose the area that have COVID, you can actually find out this information that's helpful. Yeah. And I just think that if the gun regulations I can have a unity of understanding of this for the safety of the community and utilize these type of technologies already out there. It can help their cause yeah. to be more safe. I just, I, I'm not a politician. I'm not, I'm never going to be a writer of a, a, a bill that has to stand in the Senate and preach this, but I just know that there are common sense and there, we as the citizens, normal citizens understand and comprehend. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to money, when it comes to politics, all that goes out the window. I know. We just want peace. We just want happiness. We just want to live. I just want more, more of your hot sauce. You know, I've eaten almost all of it. And you will get a lifetime supply. I need some more. <laughs> Thank you, Yusai. Where can people find you on the internets? Where can they listen to your podcast? Where can they hear all about your things? Oh, thank you so much for that. Well, you can find me at Yusai. Yusai.com is my email address. Yusai, Y-U-T-S-A-I.com is my web address. Let's talk with Yusai.com is where we um, post some of the podcasts. You can also find it on Apple and Spotify. But I, I do want to say this, Margaret, is that as a person who brings so much love and laughter to people, where did you find the heart and the energy to be able to do this? Just having a last hour speaking to you about this, it hurts me and it pains me. And, and it takes, a, I, I, I've done podcasts for about a year. You've been doing this for a very long time. Where did you get that, where do you get that strength to be able to be empathetic, sympathetic, and still every day continue to do this special conversation like that we have today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I was curious about it because there's so much we don't know. And there's so much about Asian history and especially 
Asian crime in history that is really erased. So I wanted to make sure to really examine it. And a lot of this podcast, we've gone into a lot of the hate crimes against Asian Americans, such as in the Indianapolis shooting. And then I also wanted to do um, something that was very much erased from the way that we think about gun crime in this particular incident. So it's painful, but it's necessary. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here. I'm so honored and, that and you came. Thank you. Thank you so much. And anytime, and hopefully next time, we can have a more laughter in our conversation yes. and celebrate each other. And I absolutely love you and adore you. And you know how I feel I know. about you. I'm always honored to be more present. I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love you. Love you. Today, we are highlighting the GoFundMe page for the Indianapolis Survivors Fund. Check out our show notes for the link. If you want to support our show, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcast and spread the word. Reach out to me on Twitter with your thoughts at Margaret Cho or at Instagram at Margaret underscore Cho. The Margaret Cho is produced by the Erios Network. Powered by ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.